We're the Mentorers. Welcome back. Uh, back one week after our last episode, which I missed. Gabe, how you doing, buddy? You know, I'm doing great. This is a really exciting episode we have today. Um, you know, I'm you're holding the court uh, while I was. Yeah, away. yeah. You're back from from Club Med. I wanted to ask, <laughs> did you get like one of those like you know '90s Club Med T-shirts? Uh, I didn't, but I, so this was my first experience at Club Med, and and maybe this is like a you know this is well known about it type thing, but. There are like theme days where you're supposed to dress up as a certain thing, like flowery dresses or, you know, black and white or whatever. And one of them is like the club med number 45. And it's just like, seems like a pretty blatant opportunity for them to just sell you a shirt that has that number on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But people are really into it. And on those days, they were really dress the nines on it and it's just like that's the vibe it's it's definitely a place that has a vibe yeah it has a special a special vibe. and for so, the staff that uh, week is is like never-ending hell like you know it's like every week is the same thing over and over and over again yeah you know the the, the I, I would say this the relationship between guests and staffs is, is is much more egalitarian than any hotel i've stayed at at least you know but it was a nice vacation nice time to get away but uh, i am very excited to be back here Thanks for uh, you and Michael for holding down the fort last week. It was yeah, a it, was a fun, it was a fun episode. I, th- I think we got into it. But this week, we get into it in an entirely new way with perhaps the first the first Menchwarmers guest ever to be played by a cast member of The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, that's right. So we have an ep- uh, interview coming up at, at the other second half of this episode with legendary Detroit sports writer, uh, legendary memoirist, and author Mitch Album. Uh, Leg- talk- legendary Tuesday guy, legendary Tuesday guy, legendary lyricist, uh, something we talk about with Mitch album as well. Mm-hmm. Um, very excited to have him on. We, we had him on in part to talk about his, uh, recently published book, the little liar, which is about the Holocaust, uh, which is about a trio of, of Greek Jews from Saloniki, uh, and their time in the Holocaust. And afterwards, it's sort of a, a parable about truth and what it means to, uh, have that truth manipulated for these characters. What it means it's, it's to very prudent in the Donald Trump era, I think, is uh, is sort of what Mitch gets into in the conversation. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and I should say this is a little more literary episode of Menchwarmers than we usually do. Uh, sort of out of our sports remit a little bit, but you know, Mitch is obviously a, a huge, it's a, it's, a legendary sports writer, so we want. It's to have a little, talk about you know, well. uh, uh, it's just a little bit literary corner. But Mitch has been a sports writer for forty years now. Um, you know, he started in 1983, uh, and he worked for the Detroit Free Press almost nonstop since then. In addition to publishing several novels, several nonfiction books, and 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 doing really really well for himself, but he's still pretty Jewish, yeah. Which is pretty exciting to get him on on this call and have a lot to talk about with Mitch. But first, there's a lot of sports news we have to catch up on. Um, James, sort of the first first news for anyone who's an F1 fan, not only. Did the F1 season, it starts in three days this week, and it's Tuesday, starts okay. on Friday this coming week. Um, but the it Netflix starts, it show... Starts on, is this start on uh, February 29th? Does it start on Leap Day? That would no, be it nice... starts the day after Leap Day, oh, day after March, Leap day. March 3rd. But, you know, the very popular Netflix show, Drive to Survive, right. had its first episode of this past season almost entirely about the Stroll family. Oh, really? Yes. Um, you know, Lance, we talked about it sort of at length on this podcast, but Lance... Um, broke both of his wrists about right. two weeks before the season last year and had some, I don't know, I don't want to say like secret, but sort of poorly described experimental surgery that allowed him <laughs> to perform and race a uh, 300 mile an hour car with right. insane G-forces and not break his wrists again. 
Uh, and the episode really focused on sort of his relationship between him and his dad, okay. uh, who owns the team, right? Lawrence Stroll, um, you know, Schmata billionaire uh, from Montreal about, you know, it was very much a father-son story about performance and pride and nachis, um, as and nachis uh, in the family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd recommend anyone who hasn't followed uh, Lance and Lawrence Stroll to head on Netflix and check out season one of this new season for a pretty good episode, story involving episode one. Jews. Episode one, you mean. Episode one yes. Yeah. Episode one of season six um, for a pretty good Jewish story there. That's great. I'll definitely check it out. I, I've watched a little bit of Drive to Survive uh, and some of its sort of sibling series. Uh, we had Dan Rapport on last year to talk about the mm-hmm. uh, the golf one. And I guess there have been there's a tennis one and I don't know what else. But there's a NASCAR one now. Yeah. Um, that's All about, about the as heroes, far from Jewish the heroes of NASCAR. Yeah. The, uh, Netflix has sort of like cornered the sports documentary market in some ways, but they're trying to. Uh, I mean, like, uh, unfortunately, like, unfortunately, well, I guess the the sorry, the drive to survive and its sibling series, I think, are nice because they they don't just focus on one person; like they take a a, a more ecumenical view. Some of the other ones have seemed uh, seemed a bit too hagiographic for my taste, and also just like, well, if David Beckham is the executive producer of the David Beckham documentary. I can sort of imagine what sort of uh, what sort of shine it's going to put on his life. Yeah, not that not that we should mention quarter Jewish. Uh, yeah, I would say a disappointing lack Beckham. of Judaism. <laughs> uh, I would expect twenty five percent of it to have been about Judaism, but it was not in the David Beckham documentary. Yeah, not not to cast aspersions at the the quarter of David Beckham that we are uh, intensely proud of, but I just mean it's not you're not going to get the unblemished warts and all, or or even not even to say the the um, negative story, but just the complete story. Right. Like, I think when you have someone's participation, when you have their sign off, uh, when you have their ability to just say, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want that in. It, it's a mm. little I don't know. It's just it, it, it makes it that it's not it's not like a historical capsule. Do you know what I mean? No, it, it's not. Uh, it, it, it's not Errol Morris going out there and, and capturing film and, and then cutting it together. It's like it, it's like, well, this guy has a story to tell. And uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Autobiography memoir da- has its own purpose as well, obviously. It's just David Beckham it. is, I think, a bit of a, a, a rash example. You know, the heroes of NASCAR are are making this show because they <laughs> want to bring NASCAR to a larger, you know, uh, uh, larger audience. And David Beckham doesn't really need that. Right, right. You know, this that David Beckham documentary is sort of a maintenance mode. Right. Whereas the the... The heroes of NASCAR want to get out of the Fraser meme we keep quoting. <laughs> Just a few other uh, sports sports items from the last few weeks we want to mention as well. We wanted to give a shout out to to Ben Shulman, uh, Toronto-born son of uh, son of uh, dad, son of dad, son of <laughs> son of. I think the widely accepted as best baseball uh, sportscaster Dan Shulman, who is going to be mm-hmm. the new radio voice for the uh, Toronto Blue Jays. There was a nice I've profile on Ben that was written by Mike Wilner. Uh, I think over this weekend. Where, where Former Mike, guest Mike Wilner, let's not forget that. That's right. Uh, who had been the, briefly the radio voice and sort of going over the history of really how, how the Jays and, and the communications team had sort of screwed around the radio team uh, and not given them support. So hopefully Ben has that support uh, and has the ability to, you know, become a longtime guy. Obviously, he's a young guy, uh, probably I, I I don't really know him personally, but but you know late twenties or early thirties I would imagine. So he has an op- opportunity I think to be in this role for a long time if he chooses to be, and I hope he has the support to do that. I think I think we've all enjoyed you know hearing him call games the last few years. Uh, mm. he, he's got a good cadence. He sounds like his dad to a certain degree, so I think there's a certain amount of uh, familiarity with that uh, that I, that I appreciate. I, I agree, and I think it's going to be you know it, it, we should get him on the show and hear all about that. You know, talking to him one 
I think, very interesting story. Maybe not an interesting story, but something that, like, uh, you know, to bring it back a little more Jewish, he's replacing a guy named Ben Wagner, right? who, you know, is a Blue Jays radio voice, which is not to be confused with Israeli national team baseball player <laughs> Ben Wenger. Right. Um, you know, it's about as similar as you can get. It's one letter apart. Ben Wagner, not Jewish. Ben Wenger, Jewish. Ben Shulman, yes, Jewish. So yeah. I think we can get a little ultimate confusion tour in here to get all three of them together in a broadcast booth. Wagner, Wenger, and Shulman. Do, do you listen Do you listen to many games on the radio these days? Um, Not so much anymore. Yeah. I, at least not since I sold the farm and uh, moved to a place that had cable television. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's part of it for me. Too. Like when I was younger, I had more like uh, I don't know time just like out walking and things like that. Like without the needs for childcare, like I'd be out and about in the city and just like being able to listen to a game on my phone while I was walking. Absolutely, around was like, I was pretty great. You know, I would put it this way: in that Saturday afternoons or Sunday afternoons when I would normally be listening to the radio, like I'm not in my car. Yeah. You know, I'm usually at home taking care of my family. You know, with children and such. <laughs> um, nap time where I can watch or, or just like playing with my kid. But this now is, this is the, uh, the realities of aging that it's like in my twenties, it was more like, ah, I'm out and about and doing fun things. And I'm listening to a game on the radio, uh, you know, while observing the world and things like that. And now it's much more likely that I am sitting at home watching a game on TV without any volume because yes. a child is sleeping upstairs. And I'm trying exactly. Not to wake them up. Uh, or, so that's, or, you know, or the sunset. child has requested we watch bluey instead of baseball. Yeah, I've definitely um, had a lot of silent game on my phone while <laughs> while Peppa Pig plays in the background. Uh, you uh, know that that's that's life. That's that's the reality of uh, of having young children. But you know, um, come full circle on that. Yeah, we we should also you know do a quick follow up on on some of the stories we talked about last week. Sure. Israeli Canadian activist, philanthropist, bicyclist Leah Goldstein uh, was due to speak at a women's event in um, Peterborough, which has uninvited her. Well, it seems that. Either the city, the community, or the attendees of Peterborough have uninvited the event, right. and now the entire event uh, no longer happens, which seems to be a pattern of of events that, you know, I don't want to say cancel, that's a bit of a dramatic word. One of the unfortunate parts about our current moment of cancel culture, anti-Semitism, non-conversational, if you want to have it, is that it seems that it's the easiest path, mm-hmm. given all of, you know... The argument around is just like shut your door and cancel your event right. instead of possibly try and keep your speaker or not. Um, so now nobody gets any inspiring women. Yeah, so, there's, there's sort of similar similar story to that. Maybe not similar, but I, I guess had a similar uh, similar access maybe, which is there was a story that uh, two people at the recent Toronto Raptors game uh, were told to take off their sweatshirts. Their sweatshirts had a sign on the back that said free our hostages with Miguel David. Mm-hmm. Um, and I should say that our colleague, Alan Desner, uh, covered this recently on, on the CJN Daily. So tune into her podcast about about that. But similar in the idea that it's like, you know, uh, and I think we've talked about this in, 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 in different conceits as well, that it's like, you know, the MLSE supervisor, maybe, who is getting involved with that, uh, you know, is just trying to follow a policy. They're not yeah. really that interested in determining what uh, is okay or what's not. But it is sort of like a a reality with with this sort of thing that uh you know when you have a policy that's like ah nothing political we're not going to do anything like that and then it's like well the sweatshirt just says free our hostages and has them again david are you telling me that again david's as a whole are banned i mean i don't think they should be i i don't think mlse is like trying to do anything 
anti-Semitic, given who's involved with that organization. And again, I don't think the supervisor is doing anything, but they're trying to do their job. But it's just sort of like, well, is free our hostages a political slogan? I, 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 maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't even know if that, that is something that I want someone to be able to determine. It just seems like, you know, the, the easiest option for a lot of these, anyone looking at this is just like, let's just bury our heads in the sand and pretend that we can't be involved with any of this and, and just cancel the event can't, you know, tell no one that they're allowed to, uh, and no one's allowed to wear anything but team logos and, and blank sweatshirts from now on. And, and just like, well, you know, that's not, that's not the society I really want to live in. I would agree. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say that I would not stand up for my beliefs. I think it's a valid thing to say and a, an important sweater to wear. That said, if I was there, yeah, I probably would have used the opportunity to schnorr myself a free Raptors t-shirt. <laughs> That, that right. It should be like when uh, when someone would come to school in improper clothing, and the yeah, dress code was you, like, "Well, now you have to wear the big white t shirt." Exactly. You say, well, give me the equivalent of that. Uh, but yeah, I want you want me to Barnes cover jersey. it? I'll I'll take a Scotty Barnes jersey. Thank you, or Scotty Barnes jersey. That's what I'll cover it with. This is a great idea. I like I like this idea. You should just be going to uh, various sporting events with politi- like like just outright political slogans all over your t shirt. Yeah, but you know? but like. Just I like think whatever you, you can find like, in the vintage store. I want you in like a in, in like a, a carry. Uh, oh god, who's, <laughs> who's Carrie's running mate? Uh, um, Edwards, Carrie uh, Edwards T-shirt. Yeah, Carrie Edwards. I think it could also be like a like a America love it or leave it style T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, or or until you, you know, can get free stuff out of the out of the program. exactly until I can, as I said, schnorr myself a, a T-shirt or a jersey. Just one other thing I wanted to mention before we move on to uh, talking about the book a little bit and our interview with Mitch. Um, Denny of Dia has been on a real stretch recently. Uh, since the beginning of the year, beginning of 2024, he, he's averaged more than 16 points a game. And he had a 43-point game the other day. Uh, wow. Pretty do impressive. You think, do you think he was really going for that 48? Yeah, right before the All-Star break. 48 would have been would have been something. I mean, you know, he did shoot a lot. He shot 24 times. I think that's the most shots he's yep. taken in a game. But, you know, he has been given some room to run. Uh, minutes yep. are up. Unfortunately, he got he, he's just injured his heel. He's missed the last... Uh, Last few games, I'm I'm not sure if that's expected to be a long injury. I don't think so. Uh, but really, you know, getting some run in a really really crappy uh, Washington Wizards team that has lost uh, their last nine games, I believe. So uh, yep. he is going to so, continue to, to continue to get run there. I think he's he's going to get more more and more spotlight. But we'll see what that means so going one, into the next season. So I want to double down on this, you know, basketball thing. Yeah. Right now, you know, sort of it's sort of. I guess in Canada, buried a little bit under a lot of different th- uh, uh, stories. You know, the Raptors aren't very good. There's a the emergence of Shea Gilgis Alexander. It's really exciting. Um, but I think we can call him soon to be full Jewish person and certainly, you know, intendant Jewish person. DeMontis Sabonis is having like an all time good power forward season. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, He's averaging, you know, 20 points. He's aver- he's leading the league in rebounds, 13.2. Um, and he's averaging eight and a half assists. Yeah. So, you know, he's, it, you know, I know they've got win shares um, is like a really complicated stat that, you know, a bunch of different people come up with to determine somebody's total impact. But he's actually fourth in the league in win shares, wow. Montes Sabonis, you know, ahead of Luka Doncic, ahead of... Um, Anthony Davis ahead of LeBron James, ahead of Kawhi Leonard, ahead of Jason Tatum, like a lot of the sort of stars of the NBA, you know, you've got Jokic, Giannis, DeMontis Sabonis, <laughs> right. um, having like a truly, truly transcendent season. Um, and, you know, he's still 
He's still not old, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, still I mean, he, came, he came seventh in MVP voting last year. You know, hard to hard to say if he'll get MVP votes this year just because it's a crowded field. Um, but you know, he's continuing to be on the rise. Hopefully, he can get the Kings to go a little further. And uh, you know, we should say the reason, or at least a big chunk of the reason he converted is his wife is Jewish. Uh, recently brought to our attention by by a, a listener on Twitter uh, is that also probable MVP vote garner Jalen Brunson uh, also married Jew- to a Jewish woman. Uh, we were sent huh. a, a picture of her ketubah uh, with, with Jalen Brunson, <laughs> which would be very bizarre if someone adopted that as a as a as a as if a non Jewish person ever started doing that. I, I would find that started doing ketubahs. Yeah. Is there like when you did your ketubah? Did you write your own speech, or did you like pick from a list of like things that could you know prayers or words the ketubah could say? Uh, I would say that officially we got the standard ketubah. And yeah. like unofficially, we we made agreements about certain things that we would be responsible for. I would say more uh, jokingly than than as a, a formal legal contract. Um, well, should, yes, I just mean like my ketubah has a prayer on it, and the right. prayer is is translated into both English and Hebrew. I wonder what Jalen Brunson's ketubah, if it came from like the standard list, <laughs> or they like the standard you know set template right. prayers, or they went deep on it. If, if you if you made Jason uh, Jalen Brunson's ketubah and you want to talk to us, uh, please reach out. Anyways, uh, let's leave it there on the sports news and talk a little bit about the book. So uh, the Little Liar is out now. Uh, it has been for a while. Uh, Mitch album is coming to speak at Betsetic on February 29th. Uh, for anyone in Toronto, I think tickets are still available or certainly they've been advertising it in the, uh, Shul newsletter that I, uh, dutifully read every week. <laughs> dutifully. Yeah. Oh, dutifully. Absolutely. The book is about, uh, focuses mainly on, on four protagonists, uh, three of whom are, are Jews of Saloniki, uh, two brothers, Sebastian and Nico, and, uh, their sort of childhood friend, uh, Fanny, as, as well as the sort of Nazi, commandant who is responsible for deporting the Jews of Saloniki. Uh, you know, Mitch talked to us a little bit about this, that, you know, he wanted to focus on Greece and Greek Jews in the Holocaust because Saloniki was this, you know, exemplar of, of Jewish life that was totally wiped out. You know, I, I've been there before and it is, uh, there's a Jewish a museum of Jewish history uh, that is just sort of heartbreaking in terms of reading about, you know, these Jews who live there for... well. Centuries well, you don't who think, were who, you don't who think of huge you know, Greece is one of the main countries to have been no. affected by the Holocaust. Um, yeah. But as Mitch tells us, and he tells in the book, um, that's sort of part of the reason he focused on it. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it is. It's it's definitely worth checking out um, altogether. But if you're someone who has a, a family connection to the Balkans um, or really anywhere in that that part of the world, I think it, it's it's definitely worth looking at just as a sort of uh, time capsule of what life was like. Uh, and I think Mitch has, you know, from what I can garner, I think, you know, faithfully sort of uh, adapted or, or, you know, fictionalized what Jewish life was like. But it is, it, I agree, it's not something that I was really taught a lot about. It's not something that I I, I knew a lot about because the people, the teachers I had or the, or the Holocaust educators that I learned from were, were mostly Ashkenazi uh, Jews from, you know, Poland and other parts of Central and Eastern Europe. Um, no, and it, it goes into, you know, it was the the most Jewish city in Europe for over 400 years. So the book, sort of the action of the book takes place when uh, the Jews of Sloniki are being deported to, uh, to mostly to Auschwitz. And Nico, the, the younger brother, is well known within the community as a, as a very honest child. And he is told a lie by the Nazis that he is sort of uh, encouraged to repeat. 
uh, employed by them to stand on the train tracks and tell them, tell the Jews who are being loaded into car- to, uh, cattle cars that everything's going to be all right, that they're going to be resettled and reunited with their families. Uh, he doesn't realize that this is a lie that he's telling, but as a result of telling that lie and, and understanding the consequence of it, uh, he becomes sort of pathological and unable to tell, tell the truth again. Um, it, you know, it teaches about the Holocaust, I think, through three different perspectives. One is uh, the older brother who is sent to Auschwitz, along with uh, other relatives and sort of what happens to them, you know, so I think that's very emblematic of, you know, the the obviously millions that were sent to concentration camps uh, and and those who survived as well. Uh, The young girl is uh, on the train and thrown off the train uh, and has a, a, you know, a a five year or four or five year stretch where she is on the run. She's a refugee. She's captured again, another uh, big tenant of, of, of what happened to Jews in the Holocaust or those who, uh, you know, hid their identities, were hidden by Gentiles and other and other people uh, in Eastern Europe. And, and then Nico, the youngest boy, who sort of uh, loses his Jewish identity altogether. I mean, he, he knows who he is, but, um, you know, he sort of becomes a imposter, uh, becomes a forger and, and someone who sort of hides his own identity as a way to survive. So uh, just, you know, very interesting perspectives, uh, really an interesting parable and uh, what you would expect from, from Mitch Album, who obviously has this amazing career as a memoirist, a novelist. Uh, I, I, I saw, I, I watched an interview that he did with uh, with Malcolm Gladwell, where, where Gladwell said that uh, he thinks Album's probably the person who has made the most people cry in the world uh, by virtue of their writing, which I think is a pretty impressive plot. It. Uh, well, we made and... him laugh. <laughs> what does that, does that mean That's that something. we've made, we've, does that mean that like we've cheered everyone up? Yeah, who has maybe. now cried from from Mitch Album's books? Maybe, uh, but I, I really thank him for his time. It was very generous of him to to come come on with us. Uh, so stick around and listen to our interview with Mitch Album. Don't take half measures when it comes to home security. Alarms and cameras work, but they'll only tell you that your worst nightmare just came true. Safety Screen by Metalex for windows and doors will keep your family safe and sound with real stopping power. They can't be cut, pried, or bashed in, so you can enjoy carefree ventilation in the spring and fall with peace of mind. And protect your fixed windows and doors with rock glass, an absolutely unbreakable clear covering. Call 416-638-2539 or visit metalexsecurity.com to book your free consultation. That's M-E-T-A-L-E-X security.com. Remember, prevention is always better than the cure. We're very happy to be joined today by legendary sports writer Mitch Album. Uh, Mitch, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Sure, happy to be here. Uh, Mitch, we're, we're primarily here to talk about uh, your new book, The Little Liar, uh, and, and you'll be appearing at Betsetic on February 29th to talk about that. Uh, I should say it's the same synagogue I'm, I'm a member of and, and got married at. So, uh, you know, very happy to, to have you at the Great. synagogue. But speaking on behalf of the of, of the congregation. what what? So the first question I want to ask you is why uh, did you want to write about the Holocaust now? Or what prompted you to write about the Holocaust? Obviously, you've written a number of books that have Moral, moral issues and spiritual issues at their core, uh, but this is a very you know Jewish issue and a, a very Jewish subject, obviously. Um, and, and I would say I think probably the most directly Jewish book you've you've written. Um, so what uh, inspired you to write about the Holocaust? Now, well, I grew up in a Jewish uh, community. Uh, many people were Holocaust survivors. They wore 
long sleeves in the summertime to, you know, cover the numbers that were on their wrists. And, you know, many members of my extended family have been affected by the Holocaust. And I think once I became a, you know, you want to call it a successful writer, I felt that at some point in my career, uh, I had an obligation to contribute a piece of literature that, that continued the tradition of talking about what happened then so that people wouldn't forget it. Because as you okay. know, we're at a we're at a very dangerous tipping point in America where we're pretty much losing everybody who was actually really there during the Holocaust. And you now have a country in America where one out of every five young people uh, basically believes the Holocaust is a, was a hoax. And right. another 30% <clears throat> can't say for sure if it was a hoax or wasn't. So pretty much 50% of the country can't say with certainty, yes, the Holocaust happened. Well, that's very dangerous. And I wanted to write a story that would say, not only did it happen, but here's some shocking things you didn't even realize happened in it. And I just happened to tell it in a novel form so that you know it would have a certain uh, appeal. The, the I, I, idea of, of truth and fiction sort of comes in you know, is directly a, a part of the story. Um, the the main character, I guess the title character's lie is the sort of uh, part of what moves things along. He's the sort of titular little liar. Um, did you have a feeling of concern about how you fictionalized real things or how, how you dealt with the truth of, of things that actually happened, but putting them together in a, in a new way, in a fictional way? No, no, there have been many excellent novels written about the Holocaust and they're, you know, that are fictionalized versions of things that happen. I wanted to write a book about the truth as a subject. I tend to pick sort of themes uh, when I'm going to do my books. And, and then I find the story that I think tells the theme. So, you know, the five people you meet in heaven, I didn't set out to write a book about heaven. I set mm -hmm. out to write a book about, you know, people who feel that they don't matter in life and how could I kind of, create a story that showed that everybody matters. And it turned out heaven was the best way to do it because the character goes to heaven and meets five people from his life who show him that he, he thought he was a nobody, but he actually affected them greatly. So that became the five people you meet in heaven. Or, you know, the stranger in the lifeboat was, I didn't want to write a book about how do you survive in the middle of the ocean for, you know, days on end. I wanted to write a book about belief and uh, how, you know, we don't, often believe uh, what's right in front of us uh, if it doesn't look like what we think it's going to look like. You know, if, if salvation doesn't come in the form that we think it is, we don't really think it's salvation. So with the, with the Little Liar, I wanted to write a book about truth and how precious it is and how we destroy it so willfully. And that's when I thought, well, this, is, this theme would be a good time to do that book set during the Holocaust that I've been thinking about uh, because never was there a time where truth was more a victim than during those years. And the book centers on a little boy who has never told a lie in his life, Right, lives in Greece. And when the Nazis invade his village, they find out about him and they kidnap him and decide to use his honesty against him and against his people. And they trick him by saying, you can go back to your family very soon. All you have to do is just stand on the railroad tracks and tell the people who are getting on the trains that they're going to new jobs and new homes. Everything's going to be good. And then they'll believe you because you don't lie. And and uh, then you can go back to your family. And thinking that he's telling the truth, he does this day after day. 
and people willfully get on these trains and only on the very last day does he see that his own family is being shoved inside a boxcar and he finds out that these cars are actually headed to Auschwitz. And uh, from that point forward, he loses the ability to speak the truth ever again. He's not allowed to go and he's left behind and it follows him as he becomes, as he gets older, a pathological liar because he can't tell the truth anymore because of the consequence of it. So it really is a, is a, is a parable about the truth and it doesn't all take place during the Holocaust, only about a third of it, but um, it certainly shows what the lies of that period how they affected the people for years and decades to come. You know, I want to I want to double click on something you said earlier. You know, I I notice a lot of the story and and maybe some of your books all have a big theme of of community in them. Um, and specifically, you know, outside of Kevin Euclid as one example, the Greek Jewish community isn't one that gets talked about a lot. Um, I'm curious, you know, what why did you choose to set the story in Greece? of all countries affected by the Holocaust? Well, for a couple of reasons. I lived in Greece when I was young. Uh, and so I knew a little bit more about it than, you know, maybe maybe I would have otherwise and knew about the Holocaust that took place there. That, And I realized that most people don't. That's exactly right. what I'm saying. And I thought, well, I want to write a story that is going to have people saying, I didn't know that there was a Holocaust in Greece to kind of make the point that, yeah, you, not only is it not a myth, but you're still 80 years later discovering things about it that you didn't even know, you know, that the, the, the biggest Jewish population city in all of Europe was Thessalonica, Greece. Right. It, wasn't, it wasn't Lodz, Poland. It wasn't Paris. It wasn't it was Thessalonica, Greece was almost 40 percent Jewish before the war and it was completely wiped out. And so I was glad and I'm glad that the book, which has been very well received, Knockwood, um, a lot of the comments I get are exactly that. Wow, I didn't I didn't know that stuff took place in Greece. I thought Greece sat out the war. I didn't even know that the Nazis were there. So uh, it had the double effect of, you know, being personal to me, but also being able to tell a story that wasn't just the, you know, the da 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 of Auschwitz, you know, uh, you know, the familiar book that begins on Kristallnacht and ends with the liberation of the concentration camps. Not that there's those books are wonderful, but they've been written before, you know, and I was looking to try to tell a story that hadn't been done before. Just uh, switching gears uh, a little bit, Mitch, we we talked about you a couple of years ago. We put a, a list together of our favorite Jewish sports songs. Uh, and of course, Hit Somebody, the hockey song that you wrote with Warren Zevon was was on that list. Uh, there's even a, a Spotify uh, playlist that we, that we put together with all the great Jewish sports songs. Uh, how, how long how, is that? Longer, longer than you think. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of it was just you know Jewish writers or Jewish lyricists, not necessarily. It's, the it's like the joke Jews. from Airplane. Yeah. Really. <laughs> how, well, how did you uh, How did you end up writing a song with with Warren? Well, Warren and I became friends through a band of writers that I play with and played with back then and still do called the Rock Bottom Remainders, which is uh, Stephen King and Dave Barry, Amy Tan, Ridley Pearson, Scott Turow, James McBride. Uh, over the years, Frank McCourt and uh, Barbara King Solver and many, many other writers. And it's not a very good band. Uh, <laughs> that's a pretty bad band. But with, with Dave Barry, how could that be? Well, it's a funny band with Dave Barry. But we do get a lot of people to play with us uh, because a lot of musicians are very interested in in writers and writing and books. 
Uh, and Warren Zevon was no exception. Warren was one of the best, most well-read people I've ever met and been to his house, you know, numerous times in the past. And, and uh, it's just books. It's books, right. books, books everywhere. It was books, books, books. So he and I became friendly and he called me out of the blue one time, knowing that I was a sports writer and said, uh, Mitch, I want you to write me a song about sports that's never been done before. And uh, I said, it's never been done before? Yeah. I said, you don't care what it is? No, just as long as it's never been done before. I said, how about a hockey goon? I said, I don't think anyone's ever written a song about a hockey goon before. And he said, perfect. Write it. You know, so that's who Warren was. And and uh, I kind of wrote this song. And uh, when I came out to California one time, we got together. Warren showed up with a big case of Mountain Dew which he drank way too much of. And mm -hmm. we spent a couple hours finishing the music and putting it down. And we had a good time laughing about it. And it began with, he was born in big beaver by the borderline. He started playing hockey by the time he was nine. And, uh, it was based on actually a uh, Bob Probert, the, uh, the, um, Red Wings, Detroit. Oh, Red that was my next question. Yeah. Orser who I, whose career I chronicled, you know, all the, mm -hmm. And, you know, I used to sit uh, up in the in the old Joe Lewis arena. Uh, the press box was the very last row of the building. It was the highest row in the building. You're right. We, we were right up against the rafters of the building. And so mm -hmm. the crowd was in front of us. And during those games, if it was like the second period and if something slowed down, you know, there's a little lull on the ice. The action was just kind of puck was just going back and forth. This guy would always rise up and scream, hit somebody, you know, <laughs> you know, he was just getting bored. And, was, and that was the Detroit way. It was just hit somebody. And I just thought that that was a funny line. And so I ended up writing a song about how, you know, this, this hockey goon, that's what they always yeah. screamed at him. And they screamed at him. And, and that was Warren's idea to have him die in the end. Uh, right. And, uh, that's, that, that's the fate of, of, of many of Yvonne, uh protagonists. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. they, they don't make it to the end of the song. But uh, there's a funny finish to that. So uh, Warren, you know, we, we finished writing it in my house and that's it. And, you know, I, I, it's just something that we did. I never expected him to do anything with it. So about six months later, I was in uh, I was in the South Pacific with my wife on a vacation, some little island. I can't even remember where. And um, the phone rings and it's Warren Zevon calling and he says, Mitch. Uh, yeah, uh, sorry to bother you. I'm I'm in the studio with uh, Dave and uh, and uh, uh, the other Dave, and uh, we're uh, you know I want to know if I can change a word in the song <laughs> from uh to the. And I said, "What are you talking about?" He said, "You know, a hockey song. It's a buddy." I said, "You're recording it." He said, "Well, what do you think I was going to do with it?" I said, "Who's Dave?" He said, "Letterman." And <laughs> Who's the other Dave? He said, Crosby. And I said, Paul. And I said, who's Paul? He said, Schaefer. And I said, you're in the studio with Paul Schaefer and David Letterman and David Crosby. He said, yeah. And that's how I found out that he was recording it. I had no wow. idea. And so, uh, you know, I got a copy of it a few weeks later, and it's great. And it was released as like a single in Canada. And actually, it was on the charts, you know, and the, the small, small charting of a, 
a song in Canada, as you might imagine. A hockey sure. Team. Well, we, we don't get a lot of songs that mention Saskatoon, you know? Yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> we, uh, we, you know, wanted to ask you this. I know you mentioned it was Probert, but, you know, we're always on the lookout as a Jewish sports athlete for Jewish sports heroes. Can can we get a ruling on whether or not Buddy can be canonically Jewish? <laughs> if, if it makes you happy, sure. Sure. Um, Mitch, before before we wrap up, we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about, about being a sports writer. I, I know you've mentioned otherwise that you've uh, that you sort of got into the business of sports writing by accident. Uh, but have there been, you know, in your many years chronicling, have there been any athletes in Detroit, uh, either from your time or, or past, that uh, that were Jewish that stick out? I mean, obviously Hank Greenberg is a big one before your time as a writer, but uh, were, were there any Hank Greenberg stories you heard around uh, in your time in Detroit or? Or other Jewish athletes you could you might want to be able to mention uh, chronicling or during your time. No, unfortunately, uh, there seem to be fewer and fewer, um, and those who are Jewish rarely seem to be you know practicing. And, you know, sure. like, find out they have a Jewish father, or and, they, and I get all excited and I go talk to them, and then <laughs> uh, it's like, well, yeah, you know, but uh, you know, I grew up in the church, and my dad, you know. Um, so I really, uh, I really didn't cover a whole heck of a lot of them. I mean, we have a Jewish sports hall of fame, uh, here in, uh, Michigan, right. Michigan Jewish sports hall of fame. And, uh, you know, Bill Davidson was the owner of the Pistons and, uh, you know, he, he and I were friendly, obviously. Uh, but you know, they're, they're, it was Mike Hartman was a hockey player. I don't know if you remember him. Um, yeah, there haven't been a ton of Detroit. I know Anthony Furkser uh, got into a few games with the Lions this year. Aaron, uh, we'll see if he sticks around. Aaron Crickstein, the tennis player, was from around here. Um, was Jewish. Um, Former guest on our podcast, actually, Zach Hyman. You know, the hockey player. He played at Michigan for I think for all four years. Oh, um, is that right? yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, to to me that counts. Okay, yeah. You know, so, a lot of announcers, you know, yeah. we something we've noticed, you know, working on this show, a lot of the Jews in sports tend to be other than the playing field anywhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we spoke to, you know, the PGA Tour golfer Max Homa a couple of years ago. And the first thing he said was, wow, there aren't a lot of us. Um, yeah. And I think I think that's to your point. Um, before we go, you know. Maybe outside of Detroit, but we always ask this of all of our guests. Growing up as a sports fan, Jewish kid, who was your Jewish sports idol? Sandy Koufax. I mean, we were all, we were all, you know, every kid heard that same story, you know, and it was, right. got a, I, I swear my parents' generation got a ton of mileage out of that because it was like Sandy Koufax uh, went to synagogue on Yom Kippur. So, you, <laughs> you know, because he didn't play in a World Series and. Right. Uh, you know that, that. I mean, whether that was true or not, or it was just anecdotal, or whatever. It's it's gotten a lot of kids to synagogue over the years because you know Sandy Koufax didn't didn't play, and so you know I I, I was very young, obviously during that time when he was playing. Right. I, was, I was a child, uh, but I heard about it, you know, for years after, and that was, you know, that was the guy that we uh, we thought about. But you know, I, I sports is. Sports is a pretty even playing field. You know, it's one of the things I like about covering, and I really don't cover it anywhere near as much as I used to. I mean, I used to live, eat, sleep, and breathe it. You know, now I 
I still do it for the Detroit Free Press and stuff, but I don't do ESPN or a bunch of other sure. My book life and charity life is kind of taken away from all that. But one of the things I liked the most about it was that it really didn't matter, you know, who you were or what color you were, what language you spoke. You know, I remember going into the Red Wings locker room during the years that they were, you know, uh, winning Stanley Cups. And it was like going to the UN, you know, I mean, <laughs> you there's over Swedish over in a corner and Finnish over in this corner and Russian over in this corner and Canadian, which is its own language over in this corner and English and then this corner. And, uh, you know, nobody thought twice about it. And, and they were just, you know, on a team and, and I, I, you know, whether it be religion or race or ethnicity or, you know, where you come from, I, I think that that's one of the great things about sports that it really doesn't, shouldn't matter. And in many cases doesn't. Absolutely. Uh, Mitch, you, you were a guest for years on, on the sports reporter and, and you wrote a, a best-selling novel about uh, your conversations with another man. I, I think it's fair to say that you, you've been very uh, impactful on the idea of podcasting. You presaged the idea of podcasting altogether uh, by many years. Well, I, I may have presaged it back then, but I'm late to it in its current form. And <laughs> now everybody's talking to everybody. So yeah. Right. And why Tuesdays with Maury is uh probably couldn't have happened now it would have been a podcast uh, <laughs> it still could have been tuesdays with maury just tuesdays with maury the podcast yeah, yeah. well i actually do a podcast called tuesday people which is right. is uh based on that and i use the tapes from our conversations uh and each week we talk about sort of one issue and i play some of the conversations that maury and i had because everything was recorded you know scratchy as it may be you can still understand it and um, it's amazing how a lot of that stuff still holds up sure. you know, seven years later that we're still talking about it. So, um, yeah, I, I dabble in the podcasting thing a little bit. But, uh, yeah, we would have been smart to do the pod, do the sports reporters as a daily podcast. We had started that in 2010. Right. We all have retired, you know, and just done that from our homes. But um, we were not that smart. Oh, well. <laughs> Well, uh, Mitch, I know your time's limited, so we should let you go. But uh, I hope you enjoy your time in Toronto this week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to speaking there. I had a great time when the book came out. We came up and did a full day of media there in Toronto. It was the busiest day of the entire book tour. I think I did five television shows in one day. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, wow. and I kept coming back to the same building. That's what I remember. It was like, are we here again? We're doing another one here again? And and a couple of radio shows, and and uh, and in between, I had lunch with Brendan Shanahan, oh, wow. a good friend of mine, and a really good guy. And uh, and uh, he just met me over at his house in in Toronto. We grabbed a sub sandwich from some sub joint, and we just we just uh, talked about the old times, and like Paul Simon sang. And um, it was good to see him. He's doing pretty well up there, I guess. And had yourself some subs. Yeah, and had ourselves some subs exactly. No, that's the that's the family friendly version of it. Yeah, right, we didn't drink ourselves some beers. It was too early. Uh, I mean, that sounds fantastic. We'll welcome you again. You know, a lot of Jewish people here, so there's a lot of media. Um, I think is extremely interested in these stories. Well, if this airs before uh, Thursday night, then come on out to uh, uh, the event, which I think is seven o'clock, six o'clock. I think. Uh, uh, yeah, at bet setting. That's right. And we'll make sure in the show notes it has the correct time. One yeah, way or another. Uh, will you be there to come see if any of your wedding guests are still hanging around? Or? 
<laughs> I think they, they, they got the boot at 1 a.m. on the day of the wedding. Uh, anyways, th- <laughs> thanks so much, Mitch. Anytime, guys. Thanks very much for having me. What's a Canadian farm boy to do? It's somebody. What else can a farm boy from Canada do? It's somebody. What's a Canadian farm boy to do? It's somebody. What else can a farm boy from Canada do? Well, huge thanks to uh, Mitch Albom for coming on our show and, and telling us about his book and a little bit about his career. Um, got real deep in the Zevon there, but uh, <laughs> yes. as part of it, I just sort of want to thanks and, and thank him, congratulate ourselves, and note that we've officially entered another Jewish fictional character into the canon. Um, oh, yeah. Buddy from the song Hockey Song, Hit Somebody, as we talked about, is now officially Jewish. Um, sure. For those who add to the Wikipedia fictional Jewish athletes, he's on the list. Um, now we've created a new, we've canonized. According to the author. According to the author. According to the author. That's right. We've gone to the source. Um, which means that the two, the two greatest fictional, uh, hockey goons of all time, him and Doug Glatt. Exactly. From Goon, are both Jewish. Are, are both Jewish. As is, uh, um, I forget the name of the character, but, uh, Leo Schreiber plays the other goon in Goon. Yes. I mean, he's and, Jewish. And he's Jewish too. So. You mean, uh, 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 Ross, the boss Ray. I don't think Ross, the boss Ross, Ray yeah. was meant to be Jewish, but no, I don't think but so. Leave but at least is. he's played by by Jewish Leif Schreiber. And, uh, you know, all we need is some real-life uh, Jewish hockey goons. So I have I two... Think, I think there's some, some room for that. Interesting facts about Thessalonian Jews, sort of doing some research okay. going into the show. Um, not... I mean, one of them is relevant to our previous show. So one of the most notable Thessalonian Jews, or of Thessalonian descent from his parents and grandparents, is Hank Azaria, who did indeed oh, wow. play Mitch Albom in the Tuesdays with Maury movie. That's one. Wow. Very Two. Cool. Well, I would love to have Azaria on just to talk about Brockmeyer. Oh yeah, really that's Jim Brockmeyer himself. Well, that's true, Jim Brockmeyer yeah. himself. We'll get. We'll, I, 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 if he could do it in character, yeah. like just doing Brockmeyer in character would be. We'll, we'll have Mike. We, we could end the podcast. We'll have our producer that. Mike look into that. If anyone, if anyone out there listening knows Hank Azaria and would thinks he'd be <laughs> down, uh, let us know. Um, but our other fun fact: a few years ago on this show, we did a um, sort of a bracket of the greatest Jewish doctor of all time. Um, okay. And we declared it as a tie between Henry Morgenthaler and Maimonides. Uh, right. Those were our number one and two. But we missed a Thessalonian Jew, um, a man named Isaac Carasso, uh, okay. who was notable in that he was a doctor or a physician of some uh, training. I'm not quite sure what Greek medical school was like in the 19th century. Um, but he believed that the secret to health was uh, putting spoiled milk on eating spoiled milk, cultured milk, or in some cases, rubbing yogurt directly on a wound. Um, okay. And so he founded the company Danone. Oh, right. I knew I knew Petit Danone was Jews. Yeah. Um, but I didn't know it was that. It was a Thessalonian really Jews great. who tried to uh, I mean, that makes sense because yogurt's, yogurt's like a Balkan. Exactly. And they tried exclusively to, Balkan, but obviously Balkan yogurt exists. And they tried to invent it, it yeah. as, a, uh, as a medicine, um, Isaac right, did. Right. And what makes it, I think, even more interesting um, – you know, he's Ottoman Jew, I guess, would be the right way to put it from from Thessaloniki. But uh, what makes it interesting is we think of Danone as like the French yogurt product, but it's right. actually Greek. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it's Greek, French. Uh, I mean, started in France. But I mean, or, Greek or yogurt is a different. Well, anyway, maybe maybe Greek yogurt is the one we should all be rubbing on our cuts. Yeah. And French yogurt is not. It's just a waste of time. Anyways, uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks again to Mitch Album for coming on with us. Um, thanks again to our producer michael uh and thanks for filling in my stead last week uh co-hosting 
Um, I think we'll probably be off next week, but back in a few. Uh, and hopefully with some baseball previews. And uh, I should say at some point we will be returning with the with the uh, what is I'm going to call the third annual uh, Mench Warmers Baseball Seder. Yeah, although we've got uh, a late Passover this year. It's practically in May. It is, yeah. We're, it's late everything, man. Uh, pa- uh, Hanukkah doesn't start until Christmas ends. Yeah, uh, that's weird. It's going to be a weird year for everybody. Um, it's, it's just all that always, El Nino. Can... It's just all that El Nino screwing everything up. Yeah, well, it's going to be an early summer and then a late Rosh Hashanah. It's going to feel like endless summer. As always, you can find uh, our podcast on the Canadian Jewish News website, cjn.ca, and follow us on Twitter, at Menschwarmers, for Jewish sports news and highlights and things like that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon.